I'm a doctor. Somehow I should be able to figure this out. You know, they don't teach us much about sexual intimacy or, or sex through life stages in medical school at all. But somehow we people believe and we believe also that we should know and understand what to do around this issue. And then it got to this place where it's like, I'm going to do something about this. So I reached out and um, started working with a professional on this on this issue. Uh, and then um, over a period of time, I was able to process and get to this place where my sexual intimacy is, is really great. The relationship, had, we had to let go of that relationship. But at the same time, I continued to work with that professional because I felt that it was important that I didn't want to bring my issues into another relationship, but I take 100% responsibility for my issues, you know? And, and so that when you take the responsibility, you have the power to do something about it. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast. The only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. It's a month into 2021. You are finally ready to commit to this year being better than the last, but you're still spending your evenings catching up on notes when you could be leaving work with a clean slate. On TimeMD teaches physicians critical time management strategies tailored specifically for the unique demands physicians face. Strategies cover the exam, inbox and EHR, meetings and more. Popular module, How to Delegate Without Dumping, addresses how to delegate tasks to your staff in a way that doesn't make them feel dumped on, but inspires them to do their best work. Course creator, Phil Boucher, pediatrician and podcaster, wants you to join other physicians who understand the value of their time, but are struggling to make a clear and executable plan of action. Join today and save 15% by using code 2021 at checkout. You also get a money-back guarantee if you don't reclaim three hours a week in the first two months. Now is your chance to join On Time MD and reclaim your time for good. Go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash On Time MD to get started. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Sonia Wright. Dr. Wright is a board-certified radiologist, a certified life coach, a sexual counselor, a podcaster, a former sex toy store employee, and otherwise known as the midlife sex coach for women. Dr. Wright is also a supportive and loving mother to an 8-year-old daughter and 21-year-old son. She's on a mission to positively impact the sex lives of over a million women. She's also on a mission to end the emotional pain and isolation associated with sexual difficulties. Welcome, Dr. Sonia Wright. Thank you so much for having me here, Kate. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, well, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? You know, that's always one of those questions that makes me laugh, uh, mainly because I'm an immigrant to this country. Uh, I was born in England, but didn't stay there long and then moved to Canada. And then I immigrated to the States. And so when you asked me, who am I and where am I from? I was like, 
well, I'm this, I'm a little of that, I'm kind of, you know, but um, basically, I'm Dr. Sonia Wright. I'm a medical doctor, a radiologist, a sexual counselor, a life coach. I'm a mom, which I, I think that I love doing that more than anything else, right? I live in the Midwest, but I was raised out East. And then I went to college uh, on uh, the West Coast. So kind of all different parts of this country. I, uh, I identify as African-American, but of Caribbean descent. Wow, you are very cultured. Europe, I mean, or England, you said England, then Canada, then East Coast, West Coast, and now Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And how did you go from radiology to midlife sex coach? <laughs> yeah, that's like, I think maybe it just reflects my nature of like just going from one to the other, right? So um, for me, I would say, like, I'm in my 50s now. So when I was in my late 40s, I started asking myself, what exactly do I want to contribute? You know, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? And as a, a physician, obviously, I was contributing, at, but I wanted to do it in a different way. And I had been mentoring pre-med, post-bac, pre-med students for like 20 years by that point in time. But I also recognized that physicians uh, were having difficulties with our, you know, the stress around our work situation and such. And, and being cognizant of the fact that we had higher suicide rates and higher substance abuse rates. I wanted to make sure that if I was going to be mentoring these students to get into medicine, that I would be there for them and give them the skill set that they would need, but also to uh, give the skill set to my colleagues as well. And I had uh, used a life coach myself. I hired my first high school high life coach when I was in my residency. So this was a long time ago, right? It was, I always love to say it was a nun, Sister Linda, I adore her. And uh, she really helped me get through my residency. And so I knew the impact that life coaching could have. And so in 2015, 2016, I went and trained as a life coach. And so I was a physician life coach and I still am. That's one of the joys in my life is, is coaching physicians. And then um, I was also having my own internal issues with like intimacy. And I, I went and sought out a professional for those type of issues. And uh, I realized what an impact that she made on my life. And I wanted to be able to provide that to my clients because they were also talking about intimacy issues that they were having. And so I went and trained as a sexual counselor, got a certificate in that for a year long program, and then kind of incorporated it into my life coaching. And then uh, over a period of time became the life, you know, the midlife sex coach for women. Wow. Okay. So how, first of all, how do you hire a, you, you hired a nun, Sister Linda? <laughs> well, she was a life coach. I trained in uh, at the Mayo Clinic and there was like a, um, a place for, for nuns that there's a, uh, a campus that where nuns lived. And she was very, just a unique, wonderful woman. And she had started a holistic life coaching business. And so I said to myself, I want to approach residency in a certain way where I was going to come out on the other side whole and still have my values intact and be able to um, not just push myself through the process, but to grow and, and become the person I want to become as part of this process. And so I hired her and working with her was just incredible, just an amazing way to see the world and to, and to interact with her. And so that was like my one of my first gifts that came from life coaching. And so I, I just kind of went from there. Wow. And how many years had you been in practice at this point? Uh, well, this was during my residency that I was doing the I was working with her. And then um, I, I continued to work with a life coach uh, 
at, after I got out of residency and I was in my uh, attending job as well. And I just considered it kind of a, a fun thing to do. And it challenges you to grow and become the person that you want to deliberately, right? And so um, that's what I enjoy about the life coaching side of things. And then 2016 is 15, 16 is when I formally started uh, training. And how long was that after you, you were in practice? Uh, about seven years. Seven years. Okay. And you already knew about life coaching. I mean, you started as a, as a resident. I, that is super advanced. I feel like most of us don't even discover life coaching um, or a lot of us, maybe the people I hang around until like they become burnt out or they start to see the problems. Like they've been in medicine a while or like something needs to change. How can I help in a bigger way? And maybe it's because I was an older student. Like I started medical school at 32. So by the time I was in my residency, I was like 37, 38. So like I, I had a different perspective on the world and how I wanted to go through my residency. And so maybe that's why I sought out a life coach during that stage. Okay. And do you still practice radiology? I do. I do. I'm a pediatric radiologist. And so I still practice that. And then I also have my coaching business. So I kind of balance and, and juggle that with motherhood and, and, uh, and parenting and partners and things like that. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Pediatric radiologists. <laughs> well, let's shift shift gears here for a little bit and talk about sexual intimacy. And you know, you you say you had some intimacy issues yourself. Several of your clients did. You you decided this is something that needs to be talked about. You became a sexual counselor. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, my journey, my personal journey was one that I had been in a relationship for a number of years and it didn't really have much sexual intimacy in that relationship. And I just kind of suffered in silence for years. I just, um, I kind of shifted my energy and my focus onto my job and to then to, um, to doing the life coaching training. So you can kind of shift from one thing to another, but it was always in the background. And I got to the point where I, I kept telling myself, I'm a doctor, somehow I should be able to figure this out. You know, they don't teach us much about sexual intimacy or, or sex through life stages in medical school at all. But somehow we, people believe, and we believe also that we should know and understand what to do around this issue. And then it got to this place where it's like, I'm going to do something about this. So I reached out and um, started working with a professional on this on this issue. Uh, and then um, over a period of time, was able to process and get to this place where my sexual intimacy is, is really great. The relationship, ha we had to let go of that relationship. But at the same time, I continued to work with that professional because I felt that it was important that I didn't want to bring my issues into another relationship, but I take a hundred percent responsibility for my issues, you know? And, and so that when you take the responsibility, you have the power to do something about it. And, and so I worked on it and, and got to this place where I have a healthy uh, sex life and wanted to make sure that that was something that I could provide to other people in terms of the coaching and bringing that into alignment. So I uh, decided to get additional training as a sexual counselor. Ah, yeah. Taking a hundred percent responsibility. I found that's like so key in so many aspects of my life. So how, how did you, I mean, what did it look like cultivating those new beliefs? Yeah. You know, cultivating the new beliefs It like now I have a better concept of how to do the belief right now. But when I was in the process of doing it, you have to start from this place where you don't necessarily a hundred percent believe, right? You just, 
maybe have an inkling of what could possibly be, or or you're or you're at this place where you're like, I don't want it to be the way it is right now, right? So maybe you don't have a hundred percent belief when you first start the process that things can change. But it's okay. You don't have to have a hundred percent belief. You just have to start. And sometimes I'll ask if I'm working with my clients around the issue of belief, I'll ask them to go to the future and we'll look and see what they would like their sexual intimacy to look like in the future and to spend some time working on it. And then how does that feel if you're in this place where the sexual intimacy is the way that you want it to be? And that energy, that feeling, uh, we bring that back to the present and then we kind of use that energy to guide us and to help us to go forward. Because uh, just because you decide that you wanna have better sexual intimacy doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be an easy process. And that's okay right? There might be some hard work that has to be done, but it's okay if you can just believe and start working towards that belief and, and working towards that ultimate goal that you want. Okay. And when people realize that they have a sexual intimacy or issues or struggles in their relationship, how do they know? You mentioned it may be hard to get that back in track and you ask them to envision what it would look like. How does one know that the partner they're with at the time is or isn't the right life partner for them? Because you ultimately decided, you know, one of the partners you were with at that time was not the right person for yeah, you. Yeah, but it was not that that decision was not specifically about the sexual intimacy. I want to be clear that these are so you can choose to be with your partner no matter what, because ultimately sexual intimacy, it's your responsibility. So you can have the sex life that you want and you can create that within whatever relationship you want to stay in. So just because there may be a mismatch in libido and in all honesty, there usually is, there's hardly any a time where libido is, is equally matched across the partner, right? Um, so that's not necessarily the criteria that I chose. It was other stuff that were going on in the relationship that we chose to let the relationship go, but to keep the friendship. So I want to be very clear, it was not specifically because the sexual intimacy side of things didn't match up. Now, if you're in a relationship with somebody and the sexual intimacy is not where you want it to be, then you can create that sexual intimacy like that you want with your partner, but also with yourself, because I always believe that your number one sexual partner is yourself. So if it's the case that you may have a higher libido than your partner, that is okay. That doesn't mean that you have to throw out the partner or anything like that, but you do need to recognize this is a situation. You two can work together to see if you can change it, but, but, and this is always the but, I truly believe that you don't have control over another person's thoughts, actions, or you know what they choose to feel. If you would like your the sexual intimacy in your relationship to change, then work on that together. But also if you have a higher libido, then it may be the case that you need to also engage in sexual intimacy acts with yourself to make sure that you're getting the level of pleasure that you want. And, and you can invite your partner in on this, but recognize that your partner doesn't always have to engage with you in, in the way of penetrative sex. It could be a lot of different things that go on there, but it is something for communication, but ultimately you take responsibility and recognize that it's not a matter of settling. You can have the sexual intimacy life that you want, but it may look a little different than you think it's going to be. If you choose that you want to stay in that relationship and that's the way you'd like it to be. 
Ah, okay. No, that's perfect. I'm glad you clarified that because even though yeah, libido is maybe slightly different, that doesn't mean the relationship has to end. No, because like 90% of relationships would end, right? Because our libidos are not, we just don't, they're not matched, right? But it also doesn't mean that one person has to just tolerate it and be resentful and angry or something like that. You know, you get to do something about it, but you also need to take responsibility. And it's not about blaming your partner and anyway. It's about getting creative with yourself and what exactly would you need. And um, and you might need to expand your concept of sexual intimacy. Got it. Okay. And okay, so say you are a busy physician. You may be in a bit too physician household, or you're just both busy. You have kids, you have your, you know, all your other priorities in life. How do you make sex a priority and not put it on your calendar or not make it like just a to-do list that you check off. Yeah. And I do talk a lot about that to-do list sex and, and especially for women as women physicians. And, you know, I do, I, um, privately I coach both men and women, but, uh, a lot of my work does lead towards, you know, coaching women. So I see how they're juggling their work and being a parent. And a lot of these concepts, they apply for men as well. Um, but basically with to-do list sex, it's such where you're kind of putting it on your list. It's kind of becomes a chore. You have so much going on in your life that you're just like, oh yeah, so-and-so is going to be asking for sex soon. I better put this on the calendar. And you get more excited about being able to check that off your list than actually engaging in the sexual intimacy. And sexual intimacy is supposed to be fun. So when I'm helping my clients get back to this place where we're shifting from to-do list sex to for you sex, we are focusing on the fun, on the pleasure, the satisfaction, you know, the connection. Like, what is it about sex that is for you and and to prioritize yourself and your needs around sex and get it back to a place where it's fun because so often we forget about the fun side of things mm -hmm. yeah we're just too busy a lot of people just say that like love to say that i'm too busy yeah but it has to come from a place where your self-care is there first like if you're exhausted and you you got a 70-hour work week going on that may not be the top thing for having, you know, a lot of penetrative sex, but there's, a, as I like to mention, there's a lot of ways to have sexual intimacy. And so maybe it's a snuggle session, you know, maybe you fall asleep in your partner's arms or something like that. Right. And then next week when you're on vacation, maybe there's more, some other fun that goes on. So it doesn't have to be the exact same thing every week. And we just get to recognize that if the self-care is not there, if we ha don't have the basic needs like sleep, and exercise and eating properly. If those things are not taken care of, it's hard to put in sex, right? Right. Take care of yourself first. On the other hand, some people are just very private or they don't want to talk about it out loud, even with their partner. They're just not comfortable with the subject or doing things they're not used to doing. How do you address that? Yeah, that, we have to get clear on what's important right? Uh, yeah, you may not want to talk about it. May You may be a little shy, but the fact that you don't want to talk about something, is that uh, enough of a reason to put up with an unsatisfying sex life or put up with like where you're not connecting? Do you want 20, 30 years in a marriage where you're not connecting with somebody or would you 
be willing to be uncomfortable in a couple of conversations monthly or whatever it takes to work on this issue. So get clear uh, as to what what is that. Um, there's a co cost for everything, right? It may be that you don't want to have a difficult conversation because you don't want to hurt your partner's feelings, or you don't want to have a difficult conversation because you're afraid of what your partner might say if you actually brought up this subject. Or you don't want to have this conversation because then maybe you'll feel like you're not loved. Whatever it is, you have to recognize that there's a price that you're paying right now while you're avoiding this issue. And so many people don't recognize that there is a price that they're paying at this moment. And, and get clear as to, you get the choice, you get to choose whatever you want to choose, but get clear as to what you're willing to do and what you're willing to put up with. And, and are you willing to take that chance so that you might have a better better relationship, better sexual intimacy. Oh, that is perfect. Yeah, just get clear on what you're willing to do. And even though it may be uncomfortable, maybe addressing your fears. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, for the most part, we're trying to avoid a feeling, right? We're trying to avoid being uncomfortable. But the worst thing that's going to happen is a feeling that we're going to feel. And if we're willing to feel any feeling, usually the gift that you get in return is so much more than you could ever imagine. Even if it doesn't turn out exactly the way you want it to, it's better to have the truth out and to deal with that situation and be able to make decisions from that place, as opposed to nobody's talking about things and we're just going to pretend like nothing's happening. Yeah. The worst thing you're going to feel is another feeling. And are there any myths you want to bring up regarding uh, women's sexuality? <laughs> There's always so many myths around there. <laughs> Like if I could stop laughing, then yes. I mean, it's it's like I'm laughing, but it, the truth is it, it can be kind of sad actually because these myths kind of box women in to as to what sex and sexual intimacy should be, right? And as soon as we start saying should be, then um, it's almost like there's this this layout of how how you have to act and be in terms of sex and sexual intimacy. So in terms of some general myths is um, in terms of spontaneous libido, like we're always supposed to be ready. And the only type of libido is the spontaneous one where we're ready to get it on our mind and our body is connected and we're good to go. And very often we may have that spontaneous libido feeling when we're younger or we don't have as many commitments or we're not stressed out as much. That might be where we are but 70% of women actually function from what's called a responsive libido. And that's coming from a place of neutrality where we're not at, at the moment is like, uh, I could do Netflix and chill, or I could just do Netflix, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's like you, you're coming from this place where you, you're like, I, I, I could be okay without sex, but recognize that nothing's gone wrong, that that is okay. And then you get to decide if you're interested in sex and or if you're willing to allow the situation to see how it progresses, to see if your libido can kick in. And it can come in for women, especially, it can kind of kick in from a, a number of different ways. It can kick in from a place of wanting to have more of a connection with their partner, right? And so more of that loving connection with their partner. And then that makes them, they think loving thoughts about their partner. They see their partner interacting with their kids or whatever. And then it kind of shifts to this place where they're more more wanting to connect and that place leads them into increased interest in sex. Or it could be where you have a physical stimulation to your body. And then that is like, oh, 
that felt good. I forgot about that. And then that could kick in your libido, right? There's a number of different ways. It could be something like, uh, and we talk a lot about this with um, the women that I coach in terms of what is it that makes you more interested in sex, right? It's some people like clean sheets, right? Having the the dishes looking well. Chore play. Let's just be honest. Chore play is where it's at, right? I've never heard of that. Chore play. Like, forget about the six pack abs. Give me like a partner that's going to do the laundry, you know, or put to get put the kids to bed. They're looking mighty fine after that. <laughs> like, oh, come over here, you know. So that's what chore play is. Instead of foreplay, there's like if basically especially for women and, and for most people in general, it's like libido has is in the context of what's going on in your life. If you're looking at a dirty house and you've got a lot of things on your plate and work is really stressful and things like that, then it's not going to be at the top of your list, right? But if you have your house, it's kind of your kids are in bed or the house, whatever it is that you need in order to take the brakes off your libido and put on the gas, the accelerator on your libido, then be aware of what those are and kind of incorporate it. And it may incorporate some um, chore play, you know? So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And and then the seven, okay, that's interesting. Chore play. And then also that you said 70% of women have responsive libido and that's as opposed to spontaneous. Exactly. Yeah. So 70% of women have responsive libido as opposed to as opposed to spontaneous libido. You know, I've heard from several women, well they don't term it spontaneous libido, but if they don't have that same desire that that their partner or spouse has, they consider themselves like almost asexual. And then you've got these women thinking that they're asexual because they have responsive libido and not yeah, I mean, they may be asexual, but it could also be that they, they have this responsive type of libido, right? Everybody, the big myth is that the only type of libido is spontaneous libido. And so therefore, I'm not feeling spontaneous libido. Therefore, I don't have libido. You actually do have libido. And, and we've all been there where after we had sex, we're like, oh, that was really good. Why don't I do that more often, right? <laughs> so your libido is there. You do enjoy sex, and, and you know, but uh, we have a lot of things that we have to kind of wade through in order to get there. But it's, it's good to know what are things that can increase your libido and makes you more interested in it. But that, see, there's one of the myths basically that you have to have only spontaneous uh, libido. It doesn't have to be like that. Another type of libido is that the best type of orgasms come from penetrative sex. Well, it, the way the, the female vulva is most of her, her structures, you know, that give her the pleasure, basically the clitoris are on the outside, they're not in the vagina. And so you need to have some sort of stimulation to the clitoris, like 75% of women or more need direct stimulation, either by itself or in conjunction with penetrative sex in order to have an orgasm. But if we have this belief that only penetrative sex is the best type or the only way that you should really be orgasming, then that's another myth that's going to limit a woman and her sexuality, right? So there's there's definitely a number of different myths around there. And um, yeah, it, and I, one of my favorite ones is people think that that sex should be something easy that you don't have to work at. It should come naturally and easily. And if you have to work at it, then you have something, something's gone wrong. And that again is a myth that no, if you have anything that's worth doing, you're going to have to invest some time and effort into it. And this is just another way of in investing that. And, and, you know, it's very clear that we are sexual beings from, you know, a young age until, 
until the day we pop off. And that's what I would like for everybody I interact with is that have that understanding as you get to be sexual and you get to experience sexual intimacy in all the stages of your life. And that might change over time. And in some stages, you may need to put a little bit more effort forth than another, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing and you don't get to enjoy that pleasure. Ah, uh, yes. Well, speaking of stages of life, because yeah, I was actually going to mention that when you started saying, you know, it's not easy, it can be hard, especially when the stages of your life change. So in your stage of life, Dr. Wright, what is the relationship status of the midlife sex coach for women? You know, that is a really good question. Uh, okay, so uh, first off, I start by saying I honor everybody's commitment to their relationship structure and what works for them. And, and the majority of people in our society are monogamous and um, and in a structure of kind of like a heterosexual monogamous marriage. Uh, that is not the structure that I adhere to. I am uh, non-monogamous. Uh, I practice ethical non-monogamy. I'm solo poly, uh, which is a, a form of polyamory, which involves multiple loving relationships. And, um, and it's just kind of interesting. I have more than one partner, uh, but being solo means that I don't live with my intimate partners. I actually live with uh, my ex-partner that I co-parent with our eight-year-old. Ah, okay. So yeah, tell us about that then. How, what, how do you make co-parenting successful, especially since you guys are not currently in the same, in that intimate relationship? Yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it comes about by work. It's not easy, right? Anything worth doing is not necessarily easy. Um, definitely respect for each other is something that's important. Uh, having boundaries also is something that's important, but definitely being respectful, uh, making sure not to drag our children into any discussions or disagreements or anything like that. So we're both committed to that. Uh, we, our main goal is to focus on uh, raising a healthy adjusted child. That's, that's like our top goal and we're committed to doing that together. So we always focus on what our goal is and then um, work on friendship. Okay. So friendship, friendship is key. And then your child, does they, your eight-year-old, do they know about your relationship status or do they don't, are they even, that's something they're aware of at eight years old? In terms of um, the co-parenting and that I'm divorced from my partner that I live with Right. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. My eight-year-old is aware that uh, we divorced back in 2016. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And any advice for, besides just, I guess, maintaining that friendship or respecting each other for other people who may be, you know, realizing they may need to co-parent now or in the future and worried about the health of their children? Yeah, um, as I said, making sure to have clear boundaries is important, making sure never to bring the children into any disagreements or anything like that, focusing on that. Um, but I, I think it's about res respect. You can be in a place where you uh, respect and appreciate and love that person, even if you're not in an intimate relationship with them anymore. And you can get to this place where you want the best for that person as well. Uh, but it is definitely about respect and focusing on your children and making sure their, their needs are met. Okay. And then also, I like to ask all my guests what their definition of marital interdependence is. But since you have a slightly definition yourself about your, you know, the relate your relationship status, I'm going to tweak that slightly to what is your definition of a sustainable and successful relationship? Yeah, and I think that this 
kind of gets weaved throughout all of my relationships, whether it's my intimate relationships or my ex-partner or partnered relationships or, you know, just my friendships in general. And, and it always comes down to having mutual respect, having a loving, caring relationship with this person, supporting them and whatever their goals are and wherever they want to go, but also recognizing that that is their responsibility. Like it's not my responsibility to push them in any way to meet their goals or whatever it is, but I can be there and be supportive and, and they are in control and take responsibility for what they want to do with their life. And I can be there to support them. And um, it's also allowing them to grow and become the person that they wish to. And, um, and so it's a lot about love and respect and caring for the other person, but also having those clear boundaries and working on myself um, and, and, you know, I'm not perfect <laughs> in any way. <laughs> so it's always like continuing to grow in respect and care. Um, and, and if I've felt that I've uh, done something that I, I, I'm concerned about, then I'll discuss that and, you know, um, apologize if I need to. Uh, but it's just continuously working on, at it, working at any relationship, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Said so like a true certified life coach. I mean, we learn how we just have to allow each other to be, right? And then we get to choose. I'm going to be supportive. I'm going to be loving no matter what. Exactly. No matter what. Yes. How do you, Sonia, maintain this healthy thought pattern on a daily basis? Because you have mentioned multiple times, you know, that's something you work on daily and it's not always easy. Yeah, yeah, it is something that I work on daily. And, you know, I might, I might get in a bad mood and be grumpy, and <laughs> upset about something. And, and, but then I realize that it, it is down to my thoughts, and I get to choose my thoughts. And I, you know, I'll, I will allow myself to be as grumpy and a pain in the neck as I want to, like in my own room. <laughs> like, and then I'll sort myself out, right? Then I'll be like, you know, is this thought serving you? You can continue to keep this thought, Sonia, but recognize there are consequences and results based on this thought. And is, is that the consequences and results that you want? Or do you choose to um, change your thoughts? And do you choose to find the ones that are going to serve you and ultimately lead to the goals that you want? Um, but I, I don't... Um, I try to allow room for whatever it is that I'm feeling at that moment. So it's not a thing where like, if I'm mad or upset, I'm not pushing that uh, feeling out of the way I'm allowing it and I'm processing it first. And then I'm deciding what do I want to do with that? And usually I, I'm, I will try to get to a place where there's nothing has gone wrong. It's okay to feel whatever it is that I'm feeling. Uh, but is this going to serve me in the long run? And and do I wish for another thought of um, set of thoughts and feelings at some point in time? And then I will transition over if I if I feel like it. Can you give us an example? Sometimes it's like how how long do I wish to choose angry or frustrated about this certain thing? And and yeah, how how long until I can choose a different thought? Yeah, well, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific situation. I don't tend to get angry very often. And, you know, um, but let me see. When was the last time I was angry? I'm quite sure that I was there at some point. I don't have a specific scenario, but I just know that when I get there, I just like allow whatever I'm feeling to, to just be there, right? I'm just trying to think. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I know, like, like I actually am at a loss for words because I just trying to think. I try to think. Um, when do I get worked up about something? Uh, like maybe if maybe if my uh, we're trying to um, 
look at how healthy my daughter's eating. So if I um, am trying to like offer carrots and stuff like that, and then she cause the partner has gone out, her co-parent, the other one, has come with like a bag of cotton candy. Like that's not I'm like I'm trying to get the healthy stuff in here because the bag of cotton candy. So yeah, I'll be pissed off about that, and I'll sit with that, and then I uh, then I recognize you know that it's something that needs to be processed and talked about. Uh, and then we can come up with a plan, but I can choose to come from a place of anger and accusing the other, the co-parent about this situation, or I can process this feeling and, and get to a place where it's like, okay, how can we um, be productive in this situation here? And how can we um, manage the situation? And yes, I recognize my daughter loves her cotton candy, but I am concerned about you know what it, what food she's put, and so you have the conversation and talk about it, and have more I as opposed to accusatory type of things, you know. So the communication becomes important too, and then get to this place where where you get to figure it out, yeah. and and be okay that I was pissed off. Yeah, that's a great example. I say a lot of my anger and frustration probably stems from motherhood because that's the hardest thing I do right now, and yet getting my three year old to eat healthy is a daily battle. <laughs> well, are there any take-home points, anything we haven't talked today about medicine, relationships, money that you would like to emphasize? You know, that I, I mentioned this a little bit more, that we have such a narrow definition of sex and sexual intimacy in our culture that it comes down to basically penetrative sex, right? But I do want uh, your listeners to understand that they get to define the sexual intimacy for themselves in whatever way they like and they get to be creative you know it, it, it doesn't have to be just one way you get to enjoy to remember that sex is fun and get back to the fun in whatever way it is you know focus on the touch the satisfaction the connection and and to enjoy yourself if you want to bring toys in we didn't get to the fact that i like worked at a toy store before bring the toys into the bedroom right um and if you need me in any way, I'm here. I, I do coach on anything related to sex, including libido, alternative relationship structures, kink, BDSM. I coach on it all. So um, I just, people can get to this place as long as there's consent and they're comfortable, they're not hurting themselves and they're not hurting other people, then, then it's okay. It's okay. You get to explore and enjoy sexual intimacy. And where can they find you? Yeah, the easiest place to find me is at my website. It's uh, soniawrightmd.com. That's the easiest place to find me. And you can find all information on my services and my online courses while there and my podcast as well. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me, Kate. I appreciate it. Such a great show with Dr. Sonia Wright. Before we end, be sure to use your 15% off code ONTIMEMD by Dr. Phil Boucher to gain control of your life, your focus, and your time. Reach out at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash ONTIMEMD and use code 2021 at checkout. so beautiful, Dr. Wright. Thank you so much for coming on my show. So my three big take-home points from Dr. Sonia Wright. Number one, sexual intimacy is your responsibility, not your partner's responsibility. This does not mean you need to throw away your partner if you're not happy with your sexual intimacy. 
If you want things to change, work on it. Figure out what it needs to look like for you. Also, keep in mind, this does not mean you need to settle. It just means you need to take 100% responsibility for your sex life. And 100% means all of it. Your sexual happiness is not dependent on your partner. When you don't take 100% responsibility, you will often, well, usually, I mean, pretty much always, take your current problems to the next relationship if that's what you decide to do and seeking out a different relationship. So if there are concerns in your current relationship, then address those, whether it be sexual intimacy or whatever else it is, address them. Take 100% responsibility. Number two, get clear on what is important to you and to your partner. You don't have to suffer in silence. If you are suffering in silence, ask yourself, what is this costing me? We often think it'll cost us more if we speak up, the pain, the embarrassment, the whatever emotions you're afraid of feeling. But what is it costing you to be silent? Number three, Dr. Wright reminds us sex is supposed to be fun. You get to define sexual intimacy the way you want the way you want it in your life. If you want to bring toys into the bedroom, do it. No shame. She used to work at a toy store. So Sonia, Dr. Sonia Wright can probably even help you pick some out. And that is it, my friends. That is number one of our four February slash March intimacy sex podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me. If this is an uncomfortable topic for you, I hope you learned something. Please, if you think this is something one of your friends or maybe family members needs to hear, please share. If you see others suffering in silence, if you see others not satisfied in the relationship, please share this episode. And of course, subscribe, review. But I love it when you share. That just means the world to me. And I love it that you're listening. Of course, of course, because otherwise I'm just talking to myself. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, am I suffering in silence? And what is this costing me? Do I have to-do list sex or for me sex? Am I comfortable having uncomfortable conversations with my partner? What do I want the sexual energy in my relationship to look like? And that is it, my friends. I'm just going to add that Dr. Sonia Wright does have a new group coaching sessions, classes coming up. And I'm going to include the link in my show notes. I don't get any kickbacks for this. This is just because she came onto my show and I'm so very thankful. So I'm going to help her promote her class. She told me that it starts February 10th. So very soon, just around the corner. And if this is something you've been thinking about, want to learn more about, definitely hop in there. The link will be in my show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. You know where to find me. You can always book a coaching session with me. 
on my Calendly link, which is on medicinemarriageandmoney.com. I love talking to you guys. I love I love watching the, the current change something that my clients are already going through. It's just so heartwarming. It's it's why I do this. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Reach out to me, Kate, Kate Louise Boring Men going on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Salsa Kitty Kate or Medicine Marriage and Money. Follow me on Instagram. I'm rarely on TikTok these days. Hoping to get back into it, but feel free. Message me. And if you try to friend me and I don't friend you back, just message me. Let me know who you are. Sometimes I don't know who all the boogie people are out there. So not you, not you. So let me know. Thank you so much. Please go spread your wings, fly away, spread love, happiness, intimacy, connection, what have you into this world. And so much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.